Hello first years, welcome to your next in your series of Iliad podcasts. We're going to do things a little bit differently today and we've been looking at things kind of book by book. Now we're going to take a slightly more thematic approach as in looking at a theme and seeing how it applies across the entire poem. And today's theme, because it's such a beautiful sunny day, is war. So we're going to do war in the Iliad. Now there are lots of different ways that we can look at war. We can look at them in three particular ways and that boils down to does the Iliad glorify war? Does it make us feel pathos? And is the way war and battles depicted actually interesting? Those seem to be the types of questions you get about war, although that's not necessarily inclusive. The first section we're going to look at then is does the Iliad glorify war? Just to uh, kind of clarify for you, I'm going to be focusing very much on content. I'm not going to have any expert views in this podcast because we've already got quite a few of those already from the Massalit and the other expert views already on Moodle. So this is going to be purely based on content. So we're going to start with, does the Iliad glorify war? And the first obvious thing to say is, well, duh, the whole story is about war and the glory of the warriors involved. And Homer never really seriously questions the decision of the Greeks to seek the return of Helen by warlike means or the decision of the Trojans to resist this attack at all costs. There is some evidence that Menelaus and Odysseus in, uh, from the speech of the elders in Book 3 came and spoke to the Trojans about getting Helen back. But it doesn't sound like it was a proper serious attempt. They'd already landed their ships, they'd already got their men. So it was never really a question. The other thing we can think about about if war is glorified in the Iliad is, of course, our heroic code. The heroic code main tenements are that of being good warriors. The idea of being a hero is to gain Cleos in battle. And this can be seen in how they're described with their epithets, but also the failure of the gods that they exist and the amount of treasure a hero can gain. And this whole poem really hinges on the observance, or in the case of Achilles, non-observance, of the heroic code, which is linked to being a warrior. Now, this brings us to perhaps one of the most important points, the importance of glory. Okay? In no other situation in the poem do heroes get such a chance to prove their heroism, apart from, obviously, the athletic competitions as seen in the funeral games of Book 23. And all the initial epithets of all the main contestants and characters confirm the fundamental importance of war, to their very being. The examples I've given are warlike Menelaus and Hector of the Flashing Helmet, but there are multiple ones you could choose from. Now, the real prize of war is glory. I mean, I know they're there for Helen, but really it's about glory. And this all comes back to book one and why Achilles responds in the way he does. He says, look how Agamemnon has dishonoured me. He took my prize. It's what Briseis represents that upsets Achilles, not Briseis herself. And what does she represent? She represents glory. This can be further seen in a really great example in book six, with Diomedes sparing Glaucus because of the heroic code, despite him having him at his mercy. And it mostly comes down to the fact that he offers excessively costly gifts. He gets gold armour, or they swap gold and bronze armour. They've got this whole Xenia thing going on. But it's all about how Diomedes gets more glory by actually not killing Glaucus. Now, obviously, throughout the poem, we've got the winners and losers, Achilles winning, Hector losing. And Hector may be the better man, but Achilles is too good for him in battle. But by the end of the story, both have achieved Cleos, and that's what both truly want. 
Hector might be a good man, he might be a loving husband, loving father, but he says really clearly to Andromache, look, I want Cleos, I want glory. This can also be seen in how war is described. The fight scenes, of which there are many, provide the most dramatic sections of the poem and everything else leads up to these key contests, including um, arming scenes, which you can always talk about. The importance of the warriors is stressed on the battlefield by epithets, similes, references to their illustrious fathers, remember we are in a patriarchal society, backstories, and this includes even relatively minor characters who are named often in lists. So these minor characters, while they have no relevant part other than to be named, get a share of the glory because we remember their names or their names have been written down. It's also worth noting, and this is something we haven't really talked about before, is that the actual act of killing is actually passed over quite quickly. So we'll get, old, oh, then they died and a darkness descended or they rolled over into the dust. But that's it. It's actually the glory of the fighting that counts more than the death itself. And this is particularly true as the poem near its end. And I would say that book 16 is an excellent reference for this. Um, as I've said, similes regularly glorify warriors. We often get a lot of animal similes here as well, like pair of lions or high-flying eagle. This is also seen in any glorifying of the weapons that we have. And that really comes back to book 18 in the extended description of the heavenly armour that uh, Hephaestus makes for Achilles. Um, it is also worth noting, and it's a bit more of a minor point, but wounds are often uh, described quite graphically. And the wounding of Menelaus in book four is graphic and shows that not only minor characters suffer. Now, this then brings us to an interesting point around the idea of victims. So while it is acknowledged that war does produce victims, um, often women, e.g. Briseis, Hecabe, Andromache, but also fathers like Priam and Peleus and warriors who lose, e.g. Hector, there is a suggestion that even they partake in the glory. Let me explain that to you. Their names are known, they're passed down. By being mentioned, even if they are losers of the battle, they achieve a type of Cleos because they have been remembered. Hector, who is offered the chance to withdraw in both books 6 and 22, says, it would be far better for me to stand up for Achilles rather than him lose his own heroic status. And although war clearly affects family life, the example of Hector shows that some things are more important to her Merrick hero. It's not that Hector doesn't want or doesn't value the love of his father, mother, wife and son, rather that in his mind, his greatest contribution is to leave them evidence that the family honour has been upheld. Essentially, the heroic code is more important than the family. The end of the poem shows that there can be mercy and human feelings and more, perhaps therefore suggesting a different type of glory. However, that doesn't mean that war is all glory all the time. That brings us to the second way we can look at this, the idea of war and pathos. So just as Homer never really questions the fact that they've gone back to Helen for, in a warlike fashion, he also at points kind of goes, well, why are we doing all this for a woman? Um, this is seen particularly in Achilles in Book 9. Why do the Greeks have to fight the Trojans? Now, this is really interesting given the lowly position of women in Greek society at this time. And it seems um, kind of ironic that so many heroes have to die to retake one woman. And let's not forget, she's probably a disloyal one, seeming as there's some idea that she went of her own volition. 
It also brings up this idea of a really interesting flaw in the heroic code. Okay, The heroic code could be seen to be deeply flawed. And this is seen right at the beginning in book one, when Agamemnon abuses his position by publicly demeaning Achilles, partly because of Achilles' own failure to give him due respect. And when Achilles does return to the fighting, it's because of a thirst for personal revenge. It has absolutely nothing to do with the heroic code. Okay, really want to stress this. This is also seen with all the major fight scenes and how they are decided by the gods. Okay, Paris and Menelaus in book three. How's that decided? Aphrodite whisks Paris away. Sarpedon, Patroclus, Hector in 16. That can only be achieved because of Apollo's help. Even Achilles and Hector in 22 has Athene helping. So you could argue that, yes, they're all about glory, but in fact they never really achieve true glory because the gods are intervening and making sure that fate gets what it wants. And if you wanted to be really pernickety, you could say that they are really no winners at all because all of the people I've just talked about, apart from Menelaus, die in battle. Um, Achilles doesn't obviously die in the poem, but we know due to foreshadowing that he will die soon. And as a result of the events of the poem, in fact, the only person who doesn't die is Menelaus. Now we've talked about all the beautiful similes and epithets, but I also want to talk about some of the negative descriptions that we've seen of war, because some of the fight scenes are quite realistic and perhaps give an unheroic view of death. And the one I really want to point out is book 16 with Sebriones. Um, the quote is, it shattered both his eyebrows, crushing the bone, and his eyes fell out. Now A, awesome, B, gruesome, and C, how is that glory? How is having your eyes fall out in any shape, way or form a type of glory? We can also talk here about some of the backstories because while they show that you have achieved Cleos because you're remembered, they're also quite sentimental. Some of them refer to mums as well. And here a great example to use is Simosius in book four when he says his life was too short to repay his parents for their loving care. And some of the lengthy similes uh, remind people of better times or situations. This tends to be more um, in early part of the poem. Uh, Adrestris is one in particular example. The biggest, however, thing you can say about pathos and war is the victims. So much emphasis is placed on the victims of war, both by those who have a choice, Hector and his conversation with Andromache in six, those who are caught in the middle, um, Andromache, some would say Helen, and even those who are unknowingly doomed. Poor Astyanax as he's going to go splat in book six. Now, the first thing we can say is that Homer spends a lot of time bringing out the pathos things in these situations. Um, a great example would be Prime Achilles' reconciliation in 24, even the reference to Peleus' loss of Achilles. I also think book 22 is a really good one as well. Um, and so some people would say that because he spends so much time with the victims, that actually he's trying to give us an anti-war message. So let's have a look at that. So the time Homer spends on Hector's family life in particular suggests he wants to convey the devastating effect that war has. I'm going to give you three examples. Firstly, Priam has lost most of his sons and is a broken man as a result. In book 24 we see him with his head and neck plastered in dung. Two, Andromache envisages a future life as a slave in book six, while Hector can only say war is men's business and send her back to family duties. And I think perhaps the most heartbreaking one is in book 22 with Hecabe and 
when she exposes her breasts, which, as we know, is the ultimate humiliation for a mother. So you could essentially say that not only does the Iliad not glorify war, but in fact, because of the pathos he brings out, there is a clear anti-war message. The description of Achilles' shield in Book 18 does not emphasise the glories of war, but the desirability of peace and normality, which could be seen as an anti-war message. And the ending of the poem exemplifies the evil of war by adding pathos and a sense of utility with the establishment of a relationship between Achilles and Priam. Before we move on to um, content and literary techniques, I just want to talk about very, very quickly um, about the gods, because we haven't really spoken about them. The gods involving themselves in human affairs may be seen to reflect their glory on their humans. Okay, we know they've all got their favourites. Being favoured by a god is supposed to bring you glory, which is supposedly the whole reason we've gone to war. However, they really don't care. They have a really callous attitude. For example, Apollo towards Patroclus, Athene towards Hector. And sometimes they emphasise or even cause the suffering. So you've got to think, OK, well, what are the gods' role in this idea of glory? The best example of this is perhaps Achilles versus Hector in Book 24. So in a, uh, Sorry, Book 22. In a sense, this is the climax of the poem. So glory for Achilles in beating his number one enemy. But really, is the stress on his glory. Glory could be seen as being lessened by the divine assistance. Okay? He does get help by Athene, and while the killing blow is his, he really needs Athene to help. Okay? And not only that, but if you want to take it further, the gods are then complicit in helping Achilles mutilate Hector's body. Now, they may redeem themselves by setting up the meeting between Priam and Achilles, although really that's only Zeus, and they may restore Hector's body every night, but they don't stop him initially being taken back to Achilles's or the Greeks' camp and being humiliated and decimated every day for several days and weeks. So it's an interesting kind of minor point that you could add in. Now, the final way that we can look at war is, is war interesting? So if you're looking at the content for it, discussing whether war is interesting, there are certain jewels and books that you can look at and should be mentioning. Okay, The one that often gets forgotten is the very first one, actually, which is The Duel Between Menelaus and Paris in Book 3. But you can also have Agamemnon's reaction to Menelaus when he's thinking of showing mercy in Book 6, the exploits of Diomedes and the fate of Dolon, particularly prevalent in Book 10, uh, lesser and greater Ajax's withdrawal to the Greek ships in Book 17, the fight between Hector and Patroclus, which is obviously Book 16, then Hector and Achilles, which is Book 22, and the reactions to the deaths of Patroclus and Hector. So, how would you analyse if war is interesting? It's an odd thing to say, isn't it? Oh, I find war interesting. So, here's a couple of things that you might want to consider. In an epic which is focused on the war at Troy, killings duels and battles are going to dominate the narrative. Whether this is boring is up to you, okay, it's your opinion. Some people find that the formulaic approach of the writing is a bit tedious, like, oh, great, another fight scene. The deaths of numerous individuals are dealt with very briefly and in very formulaic terms, we get a lot of lists. And it's something um, that we even find in modern action day movies, actually, when you sometimes just get fatigue or battle fatigue, as in you've just seen so much fighting, it just actually becomes boring, even though it's still devastating. 
However, this could be offset by the fact that the epic also considers the reactions of those around the people who fight and are killed. Okay, so we're not just focusing on those who are fighting, but of course Andromache, Hecabe, Priam, etc. And it is an opportunity for men to become heroes, which is always interesting. And what I do really like about the Iliad is that the story considers the narrative from both a Trojan and Greek perspective. And it's really only the only one of the three that does that. The Odyssey is from the perspective of Odysseus and nobody else. And the Aeneid is really only from the point of view of the defeated Trojans. We also get the gods themselves become involved in fighting and everybody loves a bit of divine intervention. The fates of those who are affected by death of a loved one are also considered. Think about Andromache and what she says in book six. And there are variations within the fighting. Uh, the two great examples you could have here are the night mission of Odysseus and Diomedes and the uh, case of Xenia we see in book six between Diomedes and Glaucus. The other thing I want to talk about are techniques used to describe battle. So you can talk about arming scenes. You can talk about actions of individual warriors. You can talk about speeches, similes, descriptions of death, death speeches, interventions by immortals, and how far the glory and suffering are war or emphasised. A war question is something that you really want to aim for and go for if you get it in an exam because it's so easy and there's so much you can talk about. The very last thing I just want to say is that there are certain books that you should definitely be focusing on if you get a question on war. They are books three, four, six, 10, 16, 17, and 22, and to a point, 24. Okay, that one is a bit more up to you and whether you want to use it or not. So this is how you would look at a theme by looking at it across the poem. You can do it with war, as we've just done. You can also do it with women, old men, the heroic code in more detail. So this is how you would do it thematically. And this is a really good way, or I hope a good introduction for you to be able to do the same with other types of themes. Thank you.